couple of weeks ago, on a Wednesday night, I was uh, speaking in the Hebrews Cafe, and I mentioned a song that I have not able, been able to get away from. And uh, if you know it, why don't you sing along with me this morning? If you don't, I hope you enjoy it. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus Since I found in Him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how He changed my life completely He's done something that no other friend could do No one ever cared for me like Jesus there's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand his words of love. But I'll never know just why He came to save me Till someday I see His blessed face above No one ever cared for me like Jesus There's no other friend so kind as He No one else could take the sin and darkness from me Oh, how much He cared for me. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much He cared for me. That song may be older than any of us that are here. But man, it's still true. Isn't it? Thanks to Emily for playing for me. I imposed on her Wednesday night and asked her if she would play. And I appreciate it. Before we leave this morning, we are going to observe communion. And a uh, couple of things we want, to, uh, we want you to know that we, we believe in open communion which means you don't have to be a member of this church as long as you're a member of the body of Christ. If you're a Christian, that's all that matters. We want you to receive communion with us. The other thing is, if, if you have not received the emblems, if you didn't pick them up on the way in, uh, if you'll raise your hand, we'll, we'll try to make sure that you are served. Anyone here? Wow, Dale, several here that, couple over here. We just want to get this out of the way so that back back there, Dale. And I think I saw somebody. Did I see some over here? Maybe not. Maybe not. We're so glad you're here this morning. Uh, please remember, Pastor, in your prayers, he wishes he were here. Last couple of nights, we understand, have been uh, 
tough and uh, even uh, e even before I was ready to walk out the door this morning and come here, uh, received some text that said that he had had a tough night and that he continues to need our prayers and uh, we, we would appreciate it. And I also heard that, that Jim McCrate had a, had a tough night last night. I talked to Sharon uh, before she left a while ago and Jim continues to need our prayers. He's finally on some soft food. Uh, it's been, I believe, five weeks ago today since he had a solid meal. And, uh, but he's finally on some soft food. He told me that yesterday he was uh, eating some scrambled eggs and that type of thing. But I know he wants a steak. And uh, he would appreciate our prayers also. Turn with me, if you will, please, today to... Luke, the 22nd chapter, and you might want to keep that open or available on your uh, electronic device there because we'll be working through several portions of, of Scripture in Luke chapter 22. I have uh, titled the uh, message of, of uh, today, At the Table, At the Table. Luke twenty two, fourteen, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Father, we ask today for your anointing, both for the things that will be spoken and the things that will be heard. For sometimes, Lord, we do not hear what is said. And we pray, God, that you would open our ears and that you would open our hearts, that we might receive your touch and your anointing to speak and to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If this were the last full day you would spend before you leave this life, before you pass away, what would you do? Now, I know that's a sobering question. And it's probably... Not what you hoped to hear when you came to church this morning. Somebody to tell you, what if today were the day, the last day, the very last day of your life? What if today were that day? It is, though, a thought that all of us should ponder from time to, night, to, time, to time because we never know what day will be our last? Now some of you guys down here think you'll live forever. But if Jesus tarries, it ain't so. Someday you'll be as old as I am. And you say, surely not. Surely Jesus will come before then. I thought he'd come before now. I thought he'd come before now. But we really never know. I have ministered in services. In fact, the very first 
funeral I ever assisted with was a little two-year-old girl that died with leukemia. And I was green and nervous and had no idea what I was doing. I have also assisted with funerals of those way into their 90s. But you never know. You never know. Life is fragile. James 4.14 says, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I, I can remember when I was a boy sitting in the, the kitchen of my mom and dad's house of our home. And uh, it was customary for dad to get up early and put on the, the kettle. And it was a whistling tea kettle. And uh, we, we've had a whistling tea kettle or two down through the years of our marriage, but they always seemed to break. Uh, I don't know why. But, but mom and dad had one that, that sat on the stove, and dad would get up and he'd fill it with water, and, and then he would uh, put it on the stove, and it would whistle shrilly. Wherever you were at in the, in the house, you could hear the, the kettle whistle. And dad would take the kettle from the stove and pull the lid off of it. didn't have one of those triggers on them like they do now. But he'd pull the top off of it and he would pour the boiling water into an old drippolator coffee pot. How many of you remember drippolator? See, some of you don't have a clue. But that's, that's what mom and dad had when, when I grew up. I never, I never learned to drink coffee. I tell folks I never grew up, and some would agree with that. But, but that's what mom and dad made their coffee in, an old drippolator coffee pot. But before dad would pour it in the coffee pot, there would be a burst of steam come out of that kettle, and it would appear for just a moment, and then it vanished into the emptiness of the room where we were seated. Remember that. Remember it quite clearly as a child. You see, our lives, my life, your life, is just a fleeting vacuum in time that surrounds us. It appears for a moment, and then it's gone. It's gone. So I ask you again, if this were the last full day you would spend before you pass away, what would you do? What would you do? I think, now I haven't asked anybody, but I think you would do things that were meaningful, not frivolous. If it were my last day, I'd want Janice there, and I'd want the kids there, and their husbands, and my grandbaby, and I would want to do things that would leave them with meaning and foundation in their lives. I'd want to do things that are meaningful. You see... Here in Luke's record, Jesus is sitting with those closest to him, eating 
what he knows is his last meal before he suffers on the cross. And it appears to me he did some things that were meaningful to him. And they should be to us. Let me, let me give you the points that I want to hang our thoughts on today. We are first going to talk about desire, then destiny, then disputes, and finally desperation. So notice with me, desire. And when the hour was come, he sat down in the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. That's the way the Greek literally translates. With desire I have desired. It means I greatly desire. To spend this time with you. There is an intense desire in my heart to spend this time with you. This is a message that, or a method that the Greek uses to put strong emphasis on a statement. You and I might say, I really want to sit down with you and have dinner. And that's what Jesus was saying to the apostles. He said to them that day in this statement, he was saying to them, you are important to me. Can I tell you this morning, you are important to me. I have wrestled with this message for days. I have asked the Lord for his anointing because I don't want you to go away thinking what was heard this morning was frivolous. And I have desired to be here because you are important to me. And Jesus was saying to the apostles, you are important to me. He was also saying to them, this is an important occasion for us to be together. I can tell you, this is important. This is an important occasion. You know, if we're not careful, Sunday morning just becomes another day in the week and it's more, it's just habitual and we just, we just come here because this is what you do on Sunday morning. But I cannot tell you that it's important. This is important. This time together. This worship of the Lord. This is an important occasion for us to be here together. You see, immediately after this, Jesus gave the formula for observing what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion. And Jesus' instructions were as often as you do this, remember me and my sacrifice. And though he did not specifically say, state it, can I tell you this morning that down through 
the years of time with those words he reached down to you and he says to you this morning, you are important to him. You're important to the Lord. You're important enough to the Lord that he died for you. He died for you. You're important to the Lord. And he says to you, down through the years, this is an important occasion for you to be here. This morning as we celebrate the sacrifice of the Lord together, we need to remember the price that was paid for our salvation, for your salvation, for my salvation. And also remember that he desires greatly to fellowship with us. Not just on Sunday morning. He wants to fellowship with you every day. You know, the, the term today is 24-7. He wants your fellowship 24-7. And that's the kind of commitment that we need to make to the Lord. So, the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is desire. The second thing that I want us to notice is destiny. Look at verse number 22 of chapter 22. Luke twenty-two, twenty-two. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. I want you to notice how the Good News Bible renders this particular passage. It says, the Son of Man will die as God has decided. But how terrible for that man who betrays him. What we need to see in this particular passage of Scripture is God's plan for the life of Jesus. This has been called by some the determinate counsel of God. We must see that God had a plan for Jesus. And in this passage we see Jesus chooses to take that path. I attended Southwestern Assemblies of God College. I know it's a university now, but when I was there, you know, the, the Dead Sea was only sick. And it was a college then. Okay, and, and I remember sitting in class one day and uh, Dr. Thomas Harrison was teaching the class and somebody said to Dr. Harrison, Can, could, could Jesus have sinned? Could Jesus have sinned? And Dr. Harrison said, only if he chose to sin. He would have to choose to sin. You see, in this passage, we see that Jesus chose to follow the path that God had set before him. From his childhood, Jesus recognized that God had a plan for his life. As a 12-year-old boy in the temple, he said, I must be about my father's business. He realized from, from early childhood, not 
not, it wasn't a revelation that he got when he was 12 years old. He had been living with this. He had been learning this. He had been growing with this. The Spirit of God had been dealing with him. And now on the, on the steps of the temple, he says to his mother, I've got to be about my father's business. I've got to be about my father's business. You see, our temptation is to believe that Jesus had no choice. He came to this earth and he was going to die, and it didn't make any difference. He had no choice in the matter. Our, our temptation is to believe that. But you see, Jesus had to choose to walk the path that God planned for him. Jesus had to choose that. Satan knew that Jesus had a choice. Look at Luke, the uh, fourth chapter, verses 5 through 7. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered to me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Jesus had the opportunity to choose all of this power of the world that Satan offered to him, but he chose to please God. Now his destiny in the plan of God was to do that, but he chose to do it. He chose to please God. He chose to face all of the same types of temptation that you and I face. Scripture says he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He chose to face all of those temptations. He chose to endure the agonies of the Via Dolorosa. He chose that. When I look at that, I'm not sure I could have chosen it. Not even to save myself, let alone save you. But he chose it. He chose it. And he chose to lay down his life for our sins. Jesus said, No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse number 18. Nobody takes my life. I choose to lay it down. God had a plan for his life. Jesus stepped into that destiny. He stepped into that plan. He chose that plan. Difficult as it was, he chose that plan. Just as God had a plan for Jesus' life, he has a plan for your life. But you must choose it. You must choose it. Nobody forces you to choose God's plan for your life. Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. God has an order. God has a plan. God has a path for you to walk. He orders those, but you have to choose it. You have to choose it. Joshua 24, 15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Moses, in his final remarks to Israel, said, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. So today, I say to you, Choose life. But only you can decide. Only you can decide. So there is desire. There is destiny. Thirdly, there are disputes. These guys were only human. Look at chapter 22, verses 24 through 26. And there was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so, for he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. When Don and I were boys... Being boys and being siblings, we disagreed. We fought. We, we had times. In, in fact, when I was working on these notes, I remembered the time that standing at the back of the church that we were attending at that time, I cannot even remember what he did, but I bloodied his nose. I wouldn't do that today because he had worked me over. But I bloody that kid's nose. And, and there were times when we, we just fought and just scratched and clawed and disagreed. And mother would pull us together and she would say, Someday your dad and I will be gone. And it will just be you two boys. You need to learn to get along. You need to learn to get along. Today, I think it would please my mother if she could hear me say that next to Janice, Don is my best friend. I dearly love, and I'm proud of my brother. Our lives went completely different ways. He goes to talking about guns, and it's a foreign language to me. But if I go to talking about theology, it's a foreign language to him. We went different ways, but I'm telling you what, he's my bud. I love him. There aren't many days that I don't talk to him, and, and uh, we seldom disagree. We talk a lot about our lives. We talk about fishing. I mean, we've got our priorities right. We're already talking about where we're going next spring. You know, we, we go with the girls and they shop and we fish. And the shopping isn't important, but the fishing. Where are we going to go fish next spring? We talk about things like that. We talk about daddy. We're concerned about daddy now that mama's gone. We talk about dad. 
but he's my friend. Not just my brother, he's my friend. You see, one of the greatest dangers to a local body like this is division. Division among the members of congregation. Now, I'm not saying we won't disagree, because we disagree. I don't, I don't see things eye to eye with, I don't see things eye to eye with all of this staff all the time. And one of my regular prayers is for the Lord to bring us unity and creativity. And what we have to learn to do is that even when we don't agree, that when we come to consensus, that we all do it. That we all do it. And we can disagree without being disagreeable. And we can disagree without being disagreeable. But for there to be division among us, it, it's horrible for the world outside if they were to see division in this congregation. One of the things that I love here is that there is such unity among us but we must pray and keep it and keep it because it's terrible to have disagreement. You see, Jesus was pulling his men together and he was saying to them, first of all, get along. I'm going to leave. It's just going to be you guys. You got to get along. You got to get along. The second thing that he said to them may have been even more important. He was saying to them the standard of true greatness is serving one another. Serving one another. Our assignment, your assignment, your assignment in the body of Christ. Are you, are you hearing me? You want to know what God's will is? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what God's will is. Your assignment in the body of Christ is to find the spiritual gifts that God has given you and to use those gifts in every way that you can to bless somebody else. Your spiritual gifts are not for you. If you use them, Henry doesn't use his... Now, Henry enjoys what he's doing, but he doesn't use his gifts for you or for him. He does use them for you. He uses them for you. It's not for Henry. He has a good time doing that. I have a good time teaching the Word. But if it's not just for me, it's for you. If you take your spiritual gifts and say, Oh, man, I love doing this because it's for me. No, it's not. It's for somebody else. Find your spiritual gifts and invest it in the life of somebody else. If you are not using your gifts to minister to other people, you are not fulfilling God's plan for your life. Here we are back to... God's destiny for you. God's destiny. God's plan for you. Romans 12, 6 says in the New American Standard Version, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Okay, you see, the scripture says we all have different gifts. We're not the same. We have different gifts. But it also implies in this passage of scripture that we have to do something in the church. You don't have to do everything, aren't you glad? You don't have to do everything in the church. But do something. Do something. If you are just sitting 
and soaking up the ministry of others around you, shame on you. Find a place where you fit and serve others. Serve others. So there was desire, there was destiny, there was disputes, and finally there was desperation. Look at verses 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Peter, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Considering the place where this passage falls in the chapter, I would think, I do think, that Peter was part of this dispute. I figure he was right in the middle of it. Look at me, guys. Jesus loves me more than he loves you. I'm Jesus' favorite. I'm just... I have a niece that says to her cousins, I'm grandma's favorite. What a dumb thing to say, even if it's true. It can't cause anything but problems. That's what was going on among this bunch. Peter said, I'm Jesus. James and John, no, it's us. It's us. No. Jesus says, I wish you guys had just learned to get along. Learn to get along. See, see, but look at the things that, and, and I, Peter must have been in the thick of it because Peter, Jesus calls him out, points him out. And Jesus says to Peter, first of all, Satan has made demands on your life. The word desired in the King James Version is too soft. The Greek is a strong demand. Satan has demanded. To have an opportunity to test your life. Just like in Job's life. He said to God, remove these barriers, remove these guards that you've got on the life of Job. And I'll test him and he'll curse you to your face. I can hear Satan say that to God about Peter. If you remove these guards you've got on the life of Peter, I'll show you. What he's really like. What he's really like. But what happens? Jesus said to Peter, I have already prayed for you. He didn't wait till Peter was in the thick of the test. He had already prayed for him. He said, Peter, I am interceding. I was talking to Mark Tomlinson right at the end of the first service today and we were talking about this prayer of Jesus and Mark said he'd been doing some research on the word intercession and he said it means to assail God to assail the throne of God with a request to intercede to bring with intensity a prayer Jesus said Peter I've prayed for you I've interceded for you can I tell you that he has prayed for you He's prayed for us, and I can prove it scripturally. Look at the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse number 20. Jesus said, Neither pray I for these alone, speaking of the apostles, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's you. He prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you. John 17, 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of this world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Don't take them out, but protect them while they're here. Jesus prayed for you. 
And John, 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1 informs us that he stands between Satan and our Heavenly Father and pleads our case. He is our advocate. And then he tops off what he says to Peter by saying, when you've received victory, help somebody else. Help somebody else. We're back to destiny again. We're back to God's plan for you. Help somebody else. When you have victory, help somebody else. So here are the takeaways. Here's what I want you to remember from this message this morning. First of all, God strongly desires to fellowship with you. It's not just a passing fancy. He really wants to fellowship with you. The second thing is, God has a plan for your life, but you have to choose to follow it. Nobody can make you. Nobody can. But there is a plan out there. There's a destiny that God has for you. But you've got to choose to follow it. Third thing is, God's measure of greatness is service to others. It's not money in the bank. It's not how big your house is. It's not how fancy your cars are. If that's what it was, I couldn't afford it anyway. But it's service to other people. And the fourth thing I want you to remember is when times are tough, remember, Jesus stands between you and the enemy of your soul, pleading your case to the Father.